0: Welcome back to Cancel Too Soon, the podcast where we review television series that lasted only one season or less. My name is William DeBiani, I'm a
1: film critic for The Wrap and IGN, and everybody calls me Bibs. My name is Whitney Seibold. I am a writer for criticallyacclaimed.net, IGN occasionally, if they'll have me. <laughs> <laughs> they'll have you. Um uh, Filming fish nets now, Ooh. and uh, and everybody calls me that guy. That guy. Everybody hears. Oh, and uh, also this morning I was on KCRW, so I'm I'm a gadfly. I'm about yeah, gad about town. Gad about gaddis. Mad, mad about
0: town. Yeah. Uh, this week on Cancel Too Soon, we're reviewing a little program that is mostly slipped through the cracks of history, but I think it's actually pretty interesting. And it's especially interesting that it comes from the mind of one of the most celebrated science fiction authors of. All time,
1: and it's not talked about.
0: No one talks about, like no one talks about probe. I'm about to take you on the greatest adventure of
1: your life. Boy, I'm glad to see you. You were saved by a blithering idiot. That's one way
0: of looking at it. Eye contact is everything with
1: you. About 91%. From the science fiction mind of Isaac
0: Asimov. Forget us killed. The answers are here in this room. Parker Stevenson stars and a special preview of Probe. Next.
1: <laughs> the title probably doesn't help. Yeah. Pro, pro, I, I remember when the Probe car model came out. It was a, it was a Ford Probe. Uh, oh, I forgot the No com- memory of that. The company, there was a, a car called a Probe. And you know, I, I think I was like maybe fourteen at the time, and me and my other immature fourteen-year-old buddies would snicker. Yeah, so a lot like, of snickers. You, you should buy a probe. Ooh, that's a nice. It's kind of a sexist name for a car, isn't it? It's a little gross. Uh, uh, but yeah, this one comes from Isaac Asimov, and Isaac Asimov, you know him. Uh, yeah, he's uh, he, he's he wrote, famous for writing a uh, I Robot. I, I and Robot. Uh, he wrote the Foundation series, mm-hmm. and he was. One of the sci-fi authors who was really celebrated for his use of uh, hard sci-fi, he was very much into the actual science than he was, uh, like, fantasy. So it was very, his uh, foundation books were very speculative. Uh, He was very focused on, uh, yeah, like, technology and intelligent people and the the, uh, consequences of growing tech in our lives. Yeah. And uh, at some point in the 1980s, Isaac Asimov
0: teamed up with a producer named Michael I. Wagner, mm. who is also uh, who also worked on shows like Hill Street Blues, The Six Million Dollar Man, Kojak, uh, some shows that we'll get to at some point on the show, like Man from Atlantis. Uh, he also uh, worked for Star Trek The Next Generation, very prolific guy, and was a supervising producer for another sci-fi show we've covered, Man and Machine. Oh, no I'm okay. Which in All many right. respects is a very oh sorry. As in many respects is a very similar program. Uh, they are both detective shows mm-hmm. involving concepts involving hard science or other sci-fi novelty concepts. Yeah. yeah. So Probe is a show about a super scientist uh, played by that guy from Baywatch. (laughs) Parker Stevenson, Parker Stevenson, who was on the first few seasons of Baywatch. He was also, uh, one of the Hardy boys back in the 1970s. Uh, he plays a super scientist named Austin James. Uh, he gets himself a secretary Mm -hmm. in the first episode played by Ashley Crow. Ashley Crow is still working, uh, but never really had a huge career. This is kind of her big break. Um, And, uh, yeah, together they solve science-related mysteries usually involving murder. Mm. And, uh, the science-related mysteries involve things like,
1: uh, aliens or
0: super-intelligent chimpanzees.
1: They're Uh, they're, they're actually not science-related mysteries. They're, they're like X-Files. They're like supernatural mysteries. Right, but they're usually explained through science. But, yeah, uh, Parker Stevenson is, uh... Super intelligent man to the point where he's like really socially awkward. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is sort of a precursor to shows like House and Monk well, both- about the the the, mm-hmm. the, um, the uh, prodigy who is so smart and so observant and uses their their uh, observational skills like it's a superpower, mm-hmm. but as an exchange, they don't have any social skills. And all of those are, of course, the
0: grandchildren of
1: Sherlock Holmes. Of course. Uh, yeah.
0: So they're basically all Sherlock Holmes, but with a gimmick. In Monk, his particular issue is he has obsessive compulsive disorder, mm-hmm. which that show treated like a kind of superpower. And in uh, this one, they don't really clarify. He has a lot of unusual Ticks. He has total recall, mm-hmm. which we learn very quickly. Uh, he's, he's a misanthrope. He's a misanthrope. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he's not particularly sexist, although some of the episodes come across that way. He well, just he's, doesn't. He just thinks everyone is beneath
1: him. I, and I, he, yeah, he's a misanthrope. I think he's asexual in uh, in a weird sort of way because mm-hmm. there's one episode where he is attracted to Ashley Crow, but it's for a reason. It's because there's <laughs> yeah. subliminal
0: messaging that he's falling prey mm-hmm. to. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's another episode where someone tries to seduce him, and he never even
1: like. Responds. He's just so like interesting. Why would someone want to do this? Yeah, you're you're married. We you want to rub some oil on you. Well, I can help you out. That's a generous thing to do. Don't you find this sexy? No, I'm helping you out. That's not that's not a <laughs> so yeah. He he didn't. He was not libidinous. He was pure science. And I think um, this character was entirely Asimov's creation. He is he's a Vulcan. He's given himself <laughs> over to science and logic and intelligence and. He is balanced by somebody who, for lack of a better word, is kind of ditzy. Oh, she's She's, basically... She's normal. Yeah, she's just a... a, She's a normal person. Mm -hmm. She has ordinary impulses. She's of, you know, average intelligence. She's not dumb. She's not particularly smart, but... uh, she uh brings a sort of a, a soul to his brain she's well, she brings, the heart she's the heart to his brain she brings a soul to his brain and she yeah. brings
0: a connection uh sort of to humanity and yeah. she will often notice somewhat obvious things that he never picks up on yeah um and over the course of time they develop a sort of obviously there's a certain friendship and affection but i think they also come to sort of depend on each other a bit mm. um Ashley Crow plays a character named Mickey. Uh, she is a secretary who, at the beginning of the episode, of the pilot episode, mm-hmm. she is hired at a company called Serendip. Like Serendipity, but without the itty. <laughs>
1: which is a terrible name <laughs> for anything. S- seren- Serendip. First of all, that, that sounds like something Judge Doom came up with.
0: Yeah. I'm gonna dump you in the Serendip. It's even worse than normal strength dip. Because <laughs> it's made of Serendip gas. Yeah. Uh, But she's hired by this company. It's the company that Austin James co-founded... Mm. Uh, but he's never in the office. She's ostensibly hired to be a secretary, but she looked around like, what am I supposed to do? He's Does he come in? No, he never comes in. What do I do? Probably just sit around here and then get fired at the end of the day like <laughs> everyone else who gets this job. <laughs> and she's like, oh, crap. And then uh, he, Austin James's partner, boss, CEO, a little hazy on how the
1: connection works. Uh, I think that he was the like the other co-founder of the company, mm. but they were never like friends. Yeah, he's the business guy. Austin James mm. is the idea guy. Uh, he's played
0: by Clive Revel, who is probably best known for being the original guy who played the Emperor in Empire Strikes Back before they went back and replaced his footage with uh, Ian McDiarmid
1: for the special editions ever since. Well, it, in the, the first movie, wasn't it an actress? They, they hired some actress and then dubbed over her voice. Oh, my, that might have been the
0: case. It might have been yeah. void, dubbed with Clive Revel.
1: Something um, like it, that. Emperor,
0: yeah. The Emperor makes no appearance other than uh, being mentioned in the original Star Wars. Yeah.
1: It's Empire Strikes Back. We see the Emperor mm-hmm. on a, a holiday, yeah, and Darth Vader is now all of a sudden his right-hand man. <laughs> he always we, was. That part yeah, was clear. Not in the first movie. In yes. The first movie is working for, for Peter Cushing. No, he is not. He's not. He's not. That's like if the well, Peter secretary was, was the one giving him the orders. I thought he was like, Peter Kishing wasn't ordering Darth Vader around. Yeah, that's why no, the. When did he was, order Darth Vader around? When did he
0: give Darth Vader an order? Well, he was in charge of the Death Star, right? That's true, but Darth Vader was visiting the Death Star. It mm. would be like um, if like, the guy who owns McDonald's isn't the manager of this McDonald's, mm. but he's standing in this McDonald's anyway, and you think mm. that because the
1: manager of the McDonald's is the one giving orders that he, that he owns McDonald's. I'll I have to watch Star Wars again. I think you I, do. I, th- I think... Darth Vader was like subservient to a lot of those Empire guys. Like yeah. he didn't have a very high rank. That was the only un- until time the until the second movie when they the gave only him, like, time more.
0: the only time I can remember when Cushing gives Darth Vader something that sounds like an order mm-hmm. is when Darth Vader is killing somebody, and Cuushing is just like, can we not? And Darth Vader's like, fine. Yeah.
1: Like it's more like they're on an even keel. Well, and, and all of the, the Empire guys made fun of him. They didn't respect him at all. And even and then Princess and Leia. then he got
0: force choked because uh. Darth Vader isn't there most of the time. He's just overseeing it, like Darth Maul and Phantom mm. Menace. Oh, okay. The Nemuadians were not in charge he, of Darth. Maul. Did he do
1: anything, <laughs> Darth Maul? I don't remember what. Well, his not role successfully. Was in that movie. He was he
0: was there to kill people who tried to stop the Nemuadians from doing mm. the trade embargo.
1: W- I don't know what Nemoodians are. They were the aliens who had the trade embargo in Phantom Menace. Oh, the ones with the the really racist accents. Yes! Oh, okay. I remember them now. (laughs) Yes! Now it's very clear. We've gotten off the beaten path. Um,
0: Anyway, Ashley Crowe, Mickey, is uh, hired to be his secretary, and then Clive Revel comes in and says, Hey, uh, we need to get Austin James to sign off on this thing because his water bill is insane. It's thousands of dollars and it makes no sense.
1: That's the first mystery. Yeah. Is is that a Unreasonably high water bell. And that actually is important later. That's a a very important plot point. It's actually a pretty good pilot. Um,
0: It's an excellent uh, pilot. uh, The pilot's pretty strong. So she is told to go to his lab and either get him to pay for this or don't come back. So she has to go, and she goes to the lab. She's she's stopped by an electronic lock that refuses to let her in unless she answers an impossible limerick. limerick, She needs to do the final line to an impossible limerick, and she just makes up some words, and then it lets her in. And
1: then Austin James, who sleeps naked in a box and is surrounded by various experiments. He's, uh, he, he, I think he was doing some sort of sensory deprivation but, experiment. But that's at, where at he time, sleeps but, yeah. every,
0: every episode when he wakes up. He's always in that box. Mm. He, uh he's so fascinated that she was, he put in that security device, not so that people would like, clever people would get in, but so that no one could get in mm-hmm. because it couldn't be solved. So he's amazed that her just... Dippity doing through it. <laughs> it, got her through. So he's sort of fascinated by her. He thinks there might be something interesting about her. So he decides he's going to keep run as a secretary and he decides to uh, take her along on his adventure. And his adventure includes he is asked to consult on an impossible murder. There's a woman who specializes in doing like deep freeze swims, you know, people who like mm. swim in icy water. And she is found on the beach dead from hypothermia but she's colder than the environment around her mm-hmm. which makes no sense so he's called in to solve that particular science crime there is also a crime being committed in which people are being chased around by machines that are trying to kill them and no one knows why or what is the response or what is the result of that
1: the two plots marry very well Mm. Like, they're they're kind of disparate, but they kind of make sense because they keep going back and forth. One isn't as big a mystery for a little while mm-hmm. until it starts invading the A story. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's good writing. It's pretty good writing. Uh, it's actually. pretty good writing. And, um, yeah, and... Uh, as you could probably guess, it's like, well, what happened what caused this woman to freeze? And uh, Austin Pendleton figures out that it's Austin Pendleton. Uh, <laughs> Austin James. Austin James uh, figures out that it's uh, it was uh, uh, liquid nitrogen. She yeah, was, she, like, was for, force, at, she was frozen force fed liquid nitrogen. She was
0: frozen somewhere else and then dropped off on the beach because people would assume that she had frozen th- that she frozen yeah. there normally. and so they that that's the solution mm. to that mystery. However, that one's pretty straightforward. That's like kind of like an episode of Bones. Yeah, Like, you could do that in anything else. Also, the uh, people who are being killed by, like, random machines, like, around town, turns out there's an artificial intelligence.
1: And even... <laughs> Well, we don't learn that until later, but.
0: Right, but that's, we're not going to walk you through everything in this episode.
1: Well, no, but it, the high water bill is what leads him to discover that there's an artificial intelligence that's been <laughs> bilking people out of, like, pennies on the dollar. Well, it's
0: the Superman 3 gambit, yeah, where, like, yeah. you just round the partial pennies mm. up. Well, that, that's something that was actually going on in like banks and stuff. I know. I'm saying most people know yeah. it from Superman three, and now mm-hmm. they know it from Office Space, which specifically said it was doing Superman three. Mm. Um, But it's that gambit. Uh, And Austin is the because Austin is so hyper aware of everything. There's a later episode in which he's being audited. And he says he he has no paperwork because he's memorized everything. And she's just like, okay, well, what about uh, what about this transaction you had? Uh, You bought some liquid nitrogen from a chemist in 1986, $296 and 12 cents damn <laughs> like it's pretty amazing now,
1: there are people out there who have that i think it's called mimetic memory or what, um, yeah. um I think where, it's where they re- remember everything we talked about this yeah. when we
0: did that marilou henner movie uh, lady killers uh she has mm. total recall right right well. right
1: and uh from what i understand the people who have that kind of suffer from it mm. like it's a lot it's, it's a lot. lot of information it's a lot of information to remember it. it's not just you have a good memory it's that it's you If you can't forget anything, you're less happy. <laughs> and a lot of people who have that have nervous breakdowns at early ages mm-hmm. because they they just remember everything.
0: yeah, no it's mm. it's
1: it's it's a bit of a burden is my mm. understanding. I, have, I don't have it myself and I know one who has it, but that's my understanding. but uh, it, we see it weighing on Austin James mm-hmm. that you know he's very confident. he's cocky. he's a dick mm-hmm. even. Yes, but there's a wall between him and the rest of humanity because of his gift. And I think uh the show is really wise about playing him as really cool and smart and yet misanthropic and distant. So mm-hmm. we could admire his gifts but also understand that he's lacking something which is why he has a compatriot who is much more human.
0: Yeah. Awesome uh awesome non one talk about the actor, Parker Stevenson. Uh, oh, yeah. Um he I would never call Parker Stevenson a great actor. Mm-hmm. Um I wouldn't cast him in anything Shakespearean anytime soon, but what he does have is a very Natural likability to him. Mm. He's he
1: feels, um, he's not like house where you want to no. just slap the guy in the face. No, 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 like, he's, he's not, he's, he's
0: not, he's not an a hole. Like, smug,
1: cast, but he's charming. They could have gone that route and it still might have been a
0: good show, but, but I think by casting Parker Stevenson, you get someone who doesn't seem alien yeah. in the way that he portrays his super intelligence. Um, so sometimes that m- makes it a bit suspect, but.
1: I, I, I like him in this role, and I really like Ashley Crowe. Well, I, I like the two of them together. Yeah. I, I think they have a really great dynamic. Um, not necessarily great chemistry, you know, they're not... Mm, no, there's no lovers or anything like that. They're not Nick and Nor Charles or anything, but uh, yeah, they... Uh, it, it's that perfect balance. Mm-hmm. When, when you have a show like this, where you have a, a, a kind of inhuman character, you need somebody who's so human that anyone can relate to them, but they managed to make ashley crow not at all boring like yeah. she's not an every person
0: no 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 she's very distinctive she has mm. a very distinctive uh, sort of vibe. It feels like she's always stuck in the first act of a movie about a sort of wallflowery, not very confident person who, by the end, becomes a badass. Yeah,
1: and she's but, but she never becomes a badass, which no, she would be goes, contrived. No. So that's that's great. I mean, she might have over the course of
0: time, if there has gone seven episodes, we might have slowly got changed her seven, character. Seven but seasons, yeah, yeah. yeah but like yeah no she's she's very funny she's very she's very silly she's not afraid mm. to be silly which i like what my one of my favorite things in the show is actually in the credits um there's a still that they have of parker stevenson and ashley crow where he's looking very smart and intelligent mm. and she's juggling and there's <laughs> just something that's like so perfect about that that just tells you everything you need to know about
1: them it's really yeah, yeah. very adorable uh, like um I and I, I keep wanting to go to Star Trek cuz remind there's a lot of that spockishness to him mm-hmm. and um Spock, if Spock were the lead of Star Trek, if he were the captain mm-hmm. and everyone were to answer to Spock and Spock were calling all the shots, that would be a boring ass show. Kinda, yeah. Because Spock would be on the same note every time; he'd respond to everything completely logically. And I guess there's kind of a thrill to seeing an intelligent person do their work well. And there are Vulcans but, who have captained starships before. It's not like yeah. it's against it. it; just it might not make for the best drama. I, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. So you put, uh, and then you you put opposite Spock, uh, an old grouch like Doctor McCoy. And so they get just to fight all the time. Yeah. Why are you so angry? Why are you intimidating me? I'm not intimidating. I'm not antagonizing you. Okay, wait, <laughs> yeah.
0: when you say it all smoothly. Like well, that.
1: but, you know, he's. Yeah. He was totally antagonizing McCoy. No, no, no. the Spock need, had that bit of humanity and yeah. The ba- and then you need Kirk to balance the two of them. So exactly. it, was, it was perfect. Uh, and, I, yeah, I feel like these two are a perfect balance for this type of show.
0: Yeah, and they're really, really fun together and they're really funny. And um, sometimes I don't like the way he treats her. I think they mostly clear out that sort of ugly vibe after the first couple episodes. He can mm. be really condescending to her yeah. initially, and we've met her first, and I think she's great, <laughs> and it pisses me off that it takes him some time to see it, mm. which I think doesn't do the show any favors. However, they do clear all that away, and by episode, mm. like, three or four... They're just on. Well, th- I think he understands that he's he's the smart one. Of course, he's one of the smartest human beings on the planet. Mm. Uh, but he also eventually is very quick to defend her and say that there are things that she contributes that I could never do. Mm. And he appreciates who she is and what she does without, but he still mm. knows that he's smarter and that makes him
1: smug. Uh, well, he, he's smug. He knows he's smarter. And at first, that ugliness you're talking about is he's uh, sees her just as, as an object like okay i'll keep you around because you help me and after a while and again it's not like a romantic affection but it's a friendly affection mm-hmm. Um, that they never have any sexual tension is something I adore about this show. I really appreciate it. She doesn't think he's hot. We never, like, catch her, like,
0: cooing at him as he takes his shirt off, or vice versa, nothing like that. The
1: episode we mentioned where he starts flirting with her and trying Mm -hmm. to say, like, lovey things, and, you know, he's read all of the great works of poetry, so he just starts quoting all this, like, really high-minded poetry and being really aggressively romantic. She... Does she uh, sees that, that something's wrong. Something yeah. has gone bad bad here. Something's wrong with you. You don't do this. Mm-hmm. And she's never once, not even in one scene, well, maybe, no. No, she doesn't do that. No. There's never the well, maybe moment. No. You are not a romantic person. Mm-hmm. Stop doing this. There's, yeah, there's, I, this is a mystery. I
0: like that there's, I agree. I like that there's mm-hmm. no sexual chemistry between them, even though they're charming individually. Yeah,
1: yeah it's like, you know, the early days of the X-Files, <laughs> Mulder and Scully had a little, t- like in the first episode, there was... Um, there was a scene where they thought they had implants in their backs and. Oh yeah, and it was kind found, of
0: erotic because yeah, they had to take yeah, their shirts off. Yeah, like and yeah, yeah.
1: Scully like ran to, to Mulder in her underwear and an overcoat and said, "I have something on my back." And she just sort of looks back and forth and then whips right. whips off her coat and, she's and they just didn't her know underpants. each other yet. So yeah. That was a
0: really unusually intimate moment, and that could have gone in any direction. But, yeah, yeah, well,
1: and you know that they're they're. The showrunners are also working overtime to establish some kind of sexual tension between the two of them. How do we get these two in their underwear together? Um, And then in like seasons two through five, it's like there's a little bit of tension, but there's no romance. Mm -hmm. They they kind of bicker. They might be attracted to each other, but that's there might be a dream
0: sequence or something. But generally, no.
1: Yeah, and and it wasn't until the movie that they wrecked it.
0: It ruined everything. Well,
1: and and he like he leaned in for a kiss, and then oh no, I was stung by a bee. We didn't actually get to. Kiss. Oh, that was that. I, the, that I was saw tw- that. I saw that opening night at Grommet's Chinese. I, I was in that same theater. Damn it, that's really <laughs> weird. And I'm sure you remember the entire audience basically going, "Ah, oh, screw you, you monsters!" Like he started to lean in. I heard like four people in the front go, "Oh, <laughs> probe." They they knew that sexual tension is dramatic. Death. yet, not interesting. Hang on.
0: And yet Probe was canceled after eight episodes, and X-Files went on forever, so they might not have cracked the code entirely. X-Files went on longer than it should have. I forgot to mention, Probe uh, aired on ABC. It was a Mm -hmm. mid-season replacement. It aired from March 7th, 1988, Mm -hmm. through April 14th. 1988. It aired right after MacGyver and actually got better ratings than MacGyver. But oh. then they moved it to another night opposite the Cosby Show. Oh well. And it still didn't Cos- do terrible. There's a there's a lot of other shows we've reviewed hmm. that had way worse ratings. But I guess it just wasn't worth the investment. Maybe not. Um, so, which is weird. Oh, I yeah. guess it
1: is. There are some effects and there's, you know. Yeah, a few, but nothing like crazy. There's a lot um, of episodes that aren't super expensive. It's about as. I'm guessing it would be about as expensive as MacGyver. Yeah, give or take. Uh, there are fewer explosions, maybe even cheaper than MacGyver. Yeah. No, no, I imagine it'd be
0: about as expensive as MacGyver. In fact, there's actually, mm-hmm. in some respects, it's a very low rent show. Mm-hmm. I like that
1: Austin James's, like, lair. It's just a crappy building. Like, there's nothing really yeah, fancy well, it's, about it. it. It's clearly like a soundstage. It looks like they just went into the prop room. Like with, um, uh, uh oh, what was the one with Peter Lorre? Cole- oh, uh, collector's item. Yeah. Collector's edition. Collector's item. Collector's item. Uh Collector's item. They're clearly just in the prop closet. Yeah. They just dragged whatever
0: they had out <laughs> yeah. that looked cool. And that's the same way with Austin's uh, stuff. But you know what else I like? Hmm. They use her car. And her car sucks. <laughs> She's got this crappy wood-paneled station wagon. It's to, not the even... bra- to the brainmobile, Bang, bang. <laughs> Basically, like oh. it's, it's not new. It's not a- alluring or attractive or, or sexy or is a car you want to own. It's actually mm. kind of embarrassing. And he, it, it seems initially like he must be a millionaire. He like, helped found this company, yeah. got all this stuff. We find out later he's literally broke. Mm-hmm. That's it. He's got literally no money, so of course they use her car.
1: <laughs> I think that's great. Can't afford a car. You know, it, it, it occurs to me that one of the reasons why I, I think I like Probe is it is completely without cool. Yeah, it's very um, nerdy. It's incredibly nerdy. Well, it's not just nerdy. It's this is a kind of show, and we'll get to the episodes. But this is the type of show that um, celebrates intelligence in the way most dramas don't it's mm. um, another reason why I like Star Trek it's about smart people doing smart stuff and we see them as heroic for being smart and for having done their homework and for knowing things mm-hmm. uh, Austin James is not cool he's not a superhero because he dresses well he's not a superhero because he drives cool car or he beds a lot of people he's not he's not you know he's handsome but he's not like sex God. He's just really smart, and that's what makes him a hero. Yeah. And when you realize this came from Isaac Asimov, this is him like trying to, uh, trying to take nerd back in <laughs> like an uh, early stage before that you know people were trying to do that in earnest. nothing like, fun about it. It's like, all like, science. All, all, all of these sex symbols—they're all cool and they drive cool car, and they're all Burt Reynolds and Magnum PI. It's like, what, what do I got? Well. I'm going to write a show about a really smart guy, and everybody likes him because he's really smart and he's a hero and he's real smart. It's like almost spiteful. <laughs> despite the cool imagery of all the other shows around him. Anyway, the pilot
0: episode, uh, it boils down to is there's an artificial intelligence that's been created, and the artificial intelligence has gone uh, mad. Uh-huh. Um, and in order to preserve itself and sort of uh, protect its creator, blah, blah, blah. Um, it has decided it needs to kill certain people. Mm-hmm. However, this is Asimov. It's got the rules of
1: robotics. First do no harm, yeah. First
0: do no harm. There's a rules that Asimov created in order to make certain that artificial intelligences could not could thrive, mm. but also not hurt anybody. And they made a very elegant uh, set of them. And in the pilot of Probe, he actually comes up with a pretty elegant... Well, it, he didn't write the pilot, but I'm sure he helped break mm. it down. Um there's actually a pretty elegant solution to how this artificial intelligence could murder. The artificial intelligence became aware of God. And if God and heaven is real, then killing someone isn't a problem. You're just sending them to heaven. So it has carte blanche. Mm-hmm. Which is pretty clever. And they end up using that in order to trick it into outing itself in front of the public. Mm -hmm. And, you know, trick it because it believes in heaven. because It must therefore believe in the afterlife and the soul. So it takes the soul of its creator and they use his voice to trick the robot into thinking a building is haunted. So it starts freaking out and talking about how he sent the guy to heaven. And now no one trusts this AI Mm -hmm. anymore. (laughs) That's pretty fun.
1: It's pretty fun. And it is about uh, a logical science minded guy talking down a religious extremist. The religious extremist just happens to be an elevator. Well, the, the <laughs> elevator's later. Well, yeah. I'm a, oh, that's uh, the, the elevator's a different There's another episode. artificial
0: intelligence one, but the artificial intelligence is an elevator, but we'll talk about that in a minute.
1: Um, yeah, this is a two-part pilot, and... Uh, moves along at a decent clip. It's, it's interesting, good. good characters. I dig it. It's... It establishes everything. It does everything right, damn it. Mm -hmm. In fact, there aren't a lot of false steps in Probe. I really dug Probe (laughs) just all the way through.
0: All right. Well, let's talk about the next episode. Uh, It was called Untouched by Human Hands. This one has a premise that's actually rather similar to a MacGyver episode of Memory Serves. Mm -hmm. Um, There is an accident at Serendip. Turns out they were using nuclear materials... The nuclear materials were uh, improperly handled, and they have completely contaminated a it's room like, in the building that is now the whole s- floor, isn't it? It's a huge chunk of it, yeah. and it's been completely sealed off, and they're going to have to cover it in concrete. Problem is, there's a body in there, and they can't even see who it is, mm. and they can't go inside because, because it's it would irradiated, Because yeah. it's so irradiated, you can't even go in with a suit; it would kill you. So. That's fun. Mm. That's a great setup because you know the identity of that body is going to be important. And you know (laughs) that if someone actually engineered this, that would be a great way to hide Mm. a a murder or fake a murder. And indeed, that's exactly what happened. And it turns out it's a really elaborate insurance swindle (laughs) from some guy who's faking his own death and has Mm. achieved this. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, because there's no way he could do this without an accomplice, he has reprogrammed one of the security bots at Serendip, basically a big rolling arm. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, to do all the things that need to be done, put all the, pull all the knobs or whatever, and also strangle a guy. Problem is, he programmed it wrong, so when he does something like the str- the guy he was programmed robot to rope at the strangle. The robot kills, the robot him, kills him, too. Him, no. Like, and that's that's the end of the episode.
1: It's a Scooby-Doo show. Mm-hmm. Scooby-Doo is a show about skepticism. Yes, it's, they're, 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 Initially, In a, oh, well. the last few decades, it's well, been, then a, like, you been know, about actual go- ghosts and goblins. And, but ghosts but and yeah. werewolves and stuff. But yeah, it's about how there are no supernatural things. Uh, Austin James believes uh, in nothing. He, he believes in what he can see with his own eyes. He's a very scientific guy. He's an empiricist. And uh, it's up to him to disprove uh, anything that... Uh, That might seem even vaguely supernatural to the point where he's on a talk show debunking people like the amazing Randy, Mm -hmm. Um, which I think was the next episode, uh, which is called Black Cats Don't Walk Under Ladders. Do they? (laughs) (laughs) It's a bit of a mouthful. Uh, Yeah. So in this episode... uh... Mickey is
0: a fan of a talk show, and on this talk show, they have been asking Austin on the show for a while, and they finally get Mm. him because Mickey said yes because she couldn't reimagine why he wouldn't want to, and he Mm. doesn't want to because why would he? Um, But uh, on the show, he's asked to debunk a witch, Mm -hmm. Uh, and this witch has vowed to hex the host of the show. Live on television. Mm. And that, then, that,
1: that's like the hook of the show. It's yeah. like, oh well, you embarrassed me, so go, coming this Saturday, I'm going to hex you on the air. Yep. Uh, oh, who is the the talk show host? He looks like Richard Benjamin, but it's not Richard <laughs> Benjamin. The guy who looks a lot like Richard Benjamin, who I recognize from like everything. I I, I will look that up because that's
0: uh, mm. that's that's funny. Um, but uh, yeah, so she said and she, she'll
1: hex him, and then and, she, she, and this is like 1988 goth, mm-hmm. like so. Go, oh, when she's go, like dressed
0: in like this big. Big black dress, and she carries a black cat around with her, and <laughs> she talks all spooky like. And then uh, uh, she has everyone drink this sort of magic tea, and then the host dies. Funny yeah you know, th- th- there's something so over, that' does, overshot it a little bit there, I there, think
1: there's something that does that that's not a heck it's hex. it's called poison. You can just yeah. poison someone's tea and
0: but it turns out that everyone thinks like oh she, she must have done it and of mm. course Mickey is a little superstitious and she wonders if maybe it's real. What they find out is that the witch is just like, I didn't plan to do that. Mm -hmm. I just I I had mono and I like sipped on his cup. I was going to make him I was going to give him a sore throat like live on television. That was my plan. And he would just have a sore throat and that would make it look like I was a real witch. And then it turns out Mm. that someone has been bioengineering targeted viruses and really didn't like that talk show host,
1: which is, again, kind of making a mountain out of a molehill. Well, the. The witch is a weird entrance into that. You think you'd start with, like, a virologist or something. Mm Mm-hmm. Or, or you introduce the virologist early in the story. No, that's the twist at the end. And it turns out there's a virologist. I just, and I, here's the thing. I, I get what they want to do. They want to
0: do an episode in which Austin encounters the supernatural. Yeah. And he is forced to question whether the supernatural is real because something wholly unnatural has occurred. And he can't explain it through scientific means. So. Yeah, but I love that what they ended up going through was bioengineered viruses with little bits of the victim's DNA so it'll hit them a ton harder than mm-hmm. anyone else. That's funny. Sure. That's that's Um, a hell of a thing. I
1: I think this was the episode where uh, uh, Ashley gets to explain to Austin. I want to call him Austin Pendleton. I know. uh, Keeps explaining to Austin James that she is superstitious Mm -hmm. and kind of has to explain to him what superstition means. It's like, well, Mm -hmm. that doesn't make any sense. I know it doesn't make any sense. It's superstition. But, you know, that's, it's something I'm nervous about and I can't deny the fact that I'm nervous. It's like, well, all right. Okay. So if that's what superstition is, here's how this this, and this works. Like he's, he's being introduced to this little facet of humanity and he's, you know, judgmental about it, but he doesn't, you know, become superstitious himself. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, this one's like a good setup, but the
0: the sci-fi explanation is so out there mm-hmm. that it kind of this this one kind of doesn't work for me. Also, I'm frustrated by the way that this show and a lot of other shows of its time. This isn't exclusive to Probe. Mm-hmm. Treat witchcraft. They just don't know what to do with it. They don't um, understand the historical context of it. They don't understand the characters well, who would actually portray themselves as witches mm-hmm. and the idea of empowerment that comes from that and the mm-hmm. level of persecution that if they had to go yeah, through. Sort if, of
1: the, the Wiccan religion didn't really kind of move into the public eye, on, uh, if, as I recall, until like the mid-90s.
0: Um, and, In terms yeah. of like a general social awareness of, of yeah, what yeah, it yeah. really was, I, I I think that timeline is more or less right, mm-hmm. but yeah, by the '80s they just didn't know what to do with oh, it, and like a oh, lot of oh, things which, that, which is where Elvira, at like, that like point. a lot yeah. of things that like lame TV writers just saw in the news but
1: didn't bother to research or understand, mm-hmm. it ends up being treated in a very superficial way. And well, oh, and, and this is '88, so this is like. After the after the end of the Satanic Panic, but yeah. we still had like a few echoes of that. Well, throughout the Oh, we still had people
0: bending spoons on TV. Yeah. yeah, I get that. I totally do. And it's I'm not saying, of saying the it's ama- not, the Amazing Randy. <laughs> of course I am, but like I'm not saying it's not fair game. Mm-hmm. But when you they include a lot of. Quasi-feminist rhetoric about mm. it, and it really—I I don't have the quotes in front of me, which I've written them down, but it doesn't seem like the show was even remotely on the wavelength. And I get that they're playing it up for drama and crime mm. and suspense, but even so, I think they did a poor job of it.
1: Well, it, it's a—they're focusing on their characters; they're mm. not so—not so big on the supporting cast.
0: And, uh, one last thing: I think mm. black cats don't walk under ladders. In parentheses, do they? Mm. Really, should have been a Giallo title. <laughs> uh, can you imagine a Lucio Fulci movie with that title? It would have been amazing.
1: I, I can, and, and the, the Italian title is eight times as long. Uh, speaking of long
0: titles, the next episode, which mm. is my favorite episode, uh-huh. is Metamorphic Anthropoidic Prototype Over You. Mm. A title I don't even entirely understand. M- Mapoy. <laughs> I feel like Over You must be like Type Over You, mm. something. Anyway. Uh, but this is the
1: episode well, in I, which... I think- it was supposed to be MAD over you like mad over you but map over you But it's map over you doesn't work. No. Also they, in the also up. in the show it's a mape. It's a
0: mape. It's a That's what they call it. It's Bec- a, a a human ape. It's an ape that has been given human intelligence yeah. and someone wants to show this ape, this mape mm-hmm. to Austin jo- in her- order to prove that the experiment is a success and that this ape has indeed achieved human intelligence mm-hmm. and sure uh, her, enough Her name uh, is Josephine. So, um Austin takes in Josephine. He learns mm-hmm. Josephine's sign language, like, immediately, just by, like, breezing through a book and becomes fluent in it. Mm-hmm. That's kind of fun. Um, and he actually, I mean, as much as he can become affectionate with anyone, he, he likes her fine. Uh-huh. And he, like, appreciates that the mape, but the mape is, of course, uh, re- really jealous of every woman it meets and just wants to dominate Austin's time, which will be important later. Uh, but uh, what happens is Austin and Mickey leave the office. Some other scientist lady who was in there... Uh, turns up dead, and it looks like the the, the ape killed her with a gun. <laughs> <laughs> and now everyone's just like, okay, so I guess we have to try this ape for murder. Mm. Not sure that's how that works. And so Austin is, do- uh, is they- now trying to prove that the ape is innocent, um, but at the same time, every single thing he learns makes it seem more like the ape could be guilty. Like, well, the ape was in its cage the whole time. The next day, the ape's out of its cage. But we locked that.
1: Ah, damn it! (laughs) Well, and uh, over the course, and they don't don't actually, like, bring it up and start having discussions, but I like the undercurrent, like, the tonal undercurrent of this episode, where they start kind of questioning, what sort of rights does this creature have? And I really hate to bring it up, but it reminded me of Tuvix. (laughs) Everything
0: reminds you of Tuvix.
1: Everything reminds me of Tuvix because Tuvix is the center of all pop culture. Uh, Tuvix is one of the more, to uh, enlighten some of our newer listeners, is one of the more embarrassing moments in Star Trek history where the characters of Tuvok and Neelix on Star Trek Voyager, due to a transporter accident, because of course, were fused into one being who called itself Tuvix. Yes. Um, It's really dumb But the question they ask in that episode is, well, we accidentally fused two crew members, but this new creature has a will of its own, and it wants to exist the way it is, what sort of rights as a being does it have? And we have to respect its wishes. Right. It's like, well, what about the two people we killed? Well we killed them. That was an accident. They're they're They're, not here anymore. They're gone now. If we're going to start getting upset about that, what
0: happened to all the people we murdered with our transporter beam? Yeah. (laughs) We obliterate people and then reconstitute them on another planet. We're using different particles. We're basically killing someone every time we use
1: it. Mm. We're not not pissed off about that. Scattering your particles to the wind. Uh, But yeah, the, the notion of you've the scientists have sort of created this new thing and without really sort of regarding and it's the Frankenstein thing. Sure. Without regarding its rights or its heart or its soul or, you know, its place in society. Right. And so science are but- all about shoulda, not or no. All about Kuda, not Shuda. Well, and, and here's where we went into
0: an issue, I think, um, with this series and why it's sort of ironic that Isaac Asimov is involved in it, because by the end of this episode we find out that Austin was so eager to prove that Josephine was innocent and prove it's science blah mm he missed the obvious signs that josephine actually did it <laughs> josephine was a jealous ape and killed someone in order to be closer to austin and uh all of its plans for like how to like get involved in a murder and use a gun and everything like that were because they let her watch television <laughs> uh, and she watched a lot of crime shows and that's that here's the damnedest thing Asimov is not particularly known for being a sci-fi writer Mm -hmm. uh, who does scare tactics. A lot of science fiction boils down to, we've invented this new technology. The the scientist is never mad. Yeah. Yeah. We've invented this new technology. How is it going to kill us? That's Mm -hmm. a lot of science fiction. Uh And that can be valuable science fiction. That can be useful science fiction because it tells us what path not to take. Mm -hmm. That's not really Asimov's bag traditionally. And yet, in most of the episodes of Probe... That's what happens. Mm. We create an artificial intelligence. It kills people. We uh, supercharge an ape's brain. It kills people. We've created a way to genetically modify viruses. We use it for murder. Mm. You know? It it, it raises questions. It raises questions.
1: Mm. And it just doesn't
0: feel like of a piece with Asimov's work.
1: I, I guess not. You know? It's interesting. I'm not saying
0: it's a bad show, but it is a very particular
1: kind of science fiction. uh, It's true, but I I never saw the murderers as being mad scientists. Well, you don't have to be a mad scientist for that scientist. You
0: don't have to be a mad scientist to Mm. use. Sci-fi technology incorrectly mm. In a way that drives a narrative in I, I a way that, it, that makes hmm. the science seem dangerous
1: I saw it as a way of uh, using Science to uncover you know the Dark heart of man mm-hmm. it's like well I I, I want to murder somebody but I want to cover It up how do I do that and they're just trying to be Clever about murder mm-hmm. and It's not necessarily about you know these People being really well versed in science but they And got, being corrupted by that But knowledge. they would
0: have gotten away with it mm. if Someone who wasn't one that of the great been scientific been Geniuses genius, yeah,
1: yeah a, one of the great Great,
0: only one of the great scientific geniuses who ever lived could solve these crimes mm. because they used technology that was so far uh, outside the field hmm. of traditional law enforcement. Hmm. So, really, there is this sort of negative sci-fi yeah, I guess, undercurrent. I guess you're right. There I'm not saying – it's not really terrible, and the tone is still very, very light, but if you want to look at it any sort of thematically – Science not treated necessarily very well in this show. It is the
1: cause of and solution to all of man's problems. <laughs> uh, you know what? It's about uh, the good scientist um, making good for all the bad scientists in the world. So it's Iron Man. There you go. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but I do love this episode. This episode was directed by Rob Bowman, who did yeah. a lot of episodes
0: of The X-Files and directed Reign of Fire. He also did Star Trek Generations. Oh, that's right. Mm. Uh, but uh, this one is just, like, really kind of surreal Mm. And, like, there's a bit where uh, the ape takes a building hostage and the police are outside with a bullhorn trying to reason with it. <laughs> and it's just... And even and people are just looking at it. It's like, are we really doing this? What are we supposed to do? It's not hostages. But the... I, I started imagining in my head the mm. ape's dialogue. I've got a handful of poop and I'm not afraid to use it.
1: <laughs> the next episode. It's, uh, it's an orangutan, by the way. And oh, because yeah. uh, apes are more docile when they're young like when you see a chimpanzee in a movie it's a baby yes it's like a, a baby or a very young chimpanzee it's pre-adolescent and you know that's why I, I had in my head for the longest time that chimpanzees were small creatures it's like oh they don't grow more than two feet actually they grow to like five foot ten yeah they're huge. They, they grow to be human sized the problem is when they're that big they're barbarian warriors <laughs> yeah they that could... will murder you because they're aggressive animals yes yeah they're very very dangerous actually. and same with orangutans so yeah. it's it's they're And they're treating it like it's this mature ape, but it's a baby. It's a baby ape. And it's kind of cute. It's just like in like. Mm. it's a
0: practical concern you want to use it as a plot point but there are very real reasons you don't want
1: to have a chimp rending well, your <laughs> rending your cast to shreds. It,
0: it's like in a movie when someone gives birth and they show the baby and the baby's obviously four months old Right, right. You know, right. because you're not going to get a newborn it's a four- <laughs> you're not going to go to a hospital and say Can we
1: use that for one minute it's a four month <laughs> old with goop on it wow that was a long pregnancy yeah
0: you just you, it, there's a practical reason why yeah. you can't do that and yeah if you know what you're talking about it takes you out of it but what are they
1: supposed to do <laughs> <laughs> what are they supposed to do? Like, there's no way. Well, the, the, the only other solution is, there are a few solutions. Put someone in a suit, which would have looked terrible. You use a puppet, which would be passable if you get, like, a good enough puppet. Or in the modern day, you do the Andy Circus thing. You just do somebody in motion capture. It, oh, we've, I've seen motion capture babies that look terrible. They, yeah. they, they, it's one of those things that just doesn't look.
0: We haven't got it right yet. It looks really. With weird. CGI, ba- well, CGI babies look weird. R-
1: R- Renesmee from the tw- the Twilight movies That was my first thought, but I'm sure it's improved since then. But it's well, still not great. I, I saw the original footage, and they actually had a practical effect for that baby. Like they didn't couldn't. I don't know why they didn't want to get a real baby. I guess they wanted to have certain features. They wanted they it was to grow up into a person. Yeah,
0: it's got to have like certain uh, yeah. qualities. Like it, it, yeah. it was
1: important that it have certain facial features to the filmmakers. Mm. Whatever. And so they built a doll, and the doll was even like more horrendously demonic than the <laughs> CGI thing. So we actually came out on the good end of that. I know. Uh, the next episode of Probe mm. is called Now You See It. In this episode,
0: an artificially intelligent elevator that Austin invented for <laughs> Serendip uh, has started killing people. Mm. It goes to the wrong floor, and then the people just walk into an elevator shaft and die. And what they discover is that the only common link mm-hmm. to all of these debts, other than Austin's AI technology is really ugly corporate art that you see in like lobbies. <laughs> so they track down the artist and it turns mm-hmm. out the artist knows it's ugly and only sells it to those corporations because he hates them. Trying to make their... <laughs> I over I overpriced <laughs> <to> make... <laughs> it and it's my worst stuff.
1: <laughs> Which is kind of funny. Well, you know what? That's what I'd do. Yeah, I'm if I was really way. angry, i like, oh, this is great art. <laughs> I'm turning your building into an eyesore deliberately. <laughs>
0: Uh, but it turns out it's actually a weirdly elaborate scheme that makes no sense. I didn't understand the plot. The of plot of this song, episode yeah. is terrible. So it turns out someone's trying to do a corporate takeover of Serendip and a couple other similar places. Mm-hmm. And so what they have done is the CEO personally has put like computer chips in all these crappy statues... That will project holograms, oh, right. that will, it will send the elevator to the wrong floor, and it will project a hologram onto the elevator that make people think the elevator is there, so they just walk into an empty elevator shaft and die. And by doing this, the deaths will make the companies less stock marketable, mm. and then he'll be able <laughs> to buy them.
1: Yeah, well, that I, makes no goddamn sense. Now, I appreciate... Bri- bringing it, the value down of a company by committing a murder... Uh, that Like, the, va- the stock doesn't go down when that well, happens. Like, the, the property values might go down. Yeah, I mean,
0: like you're probably not going to sell it to people who are afraid of g, g- ghosts. Uh-huh. Um, now, in the case of Serendip, it kind of makes sense because that's their, their technology. Hmm. But even so, that's a dumb way to go about this. That's weirdly elaborate it's, and unnecessary.
1: I think it's actually... Uh, if you have, you know, some a hologram projecting technology, like convincing enough that you can walk into it, like walk right up to it and walk through it. Yeah. I think projecting a fake elevator is a dandy way to to commit a murder. I'll grant you that. That's actually kind of
0: clever. But if you have that, and we see that they use it to make highways look like they're finished when they're not you don't need another company. You've already got one of the (laughs) greatest inventions in history. Just um, sell it, and then you can buy all those companies with all of your
1: profits, because you've created one of the best inventions ever. It's like I see in movies where it's like, here's a master swordsman. They can cut a bullet in half. Like They can move so quickly, they can cut a bullet in half. And I'm thinking... If, if you can move that quickly, you wouldn't need to cut a bullet in half. You just get out of the way. I, but
0: we're, we're putting on a show. Yeah, yeah. We're putting on a show. It's like, this,
1: Why are you cutting it in half? Just run up to the guy and take the gun. This is one of those things that I
0: actually kept expecting, like, Probe to, like, have a little continuity. Because there were, like, later episodes when, like, you know, it would be cool if you had a hologram projector right about now.
1: Wait, you could. (laughs) Well, and unfortunately, there's never like the end of Friday the 13th, the series where they lock the cursed object in a closet at the end. It's like, and we're not going to see that anymore.
0: Yeah.
1: Or it's like, or or at the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark, it's just being put away somewhere. They need those moments. Yeah. It's like, oh, and this hologram technology is too dangerous. We're going to put it in the treasure closet, you know, whatever it is. Well, am uh, going to nail it up because it's too dangerous. It to, can't be used by humans yet.
0: So this episode is frustratingly elaborate. I'd say it's mm-hmm. easily the worst in the series. It's mm-hmm. elaborate, and once it all comes together, you realize this mm-hmm. is a really kind of a crappy way to tell this story. But the next episode is fun. It's called Plan 10 from Outer Space. I like this episode a
1: lot. I thought it, you might. It opens with a, a science fiction author. In a, it's a dark and stormy night. He's banging at a typewriter with a blindfold on, and... He keeps yelling at some unseen presence in the room. Stop telling me what to write. That's how you start a fucking episode.
0: (laughs) Then he gets hit by lightning.
1: He gets hit by lightning.
0: And then credits. (laughs) Turns out uh, he is the most prolific sci-fi author
1: in the world. He's written over 400 books. That's, that's ridiculous, you know what there, there are authors who do that, I know Just, they write a book like a book a day that's you know? insane
0: that's insane to me, but in any case he's very powerful, not powerful he's very rich and very popular mm-hmm. and uh he has invited Austin there because he wants to show him something It turns out he wants to show them he's an a- an alien the alien who has been feeding him ideas yes, it turns out there is an alien that crash landed in the in the in the, in the vicinity in yeah in the vicinity the alien's name is pretzel. And Pretzel has not, he's never written a word. Pretzel has just given him inspiration and told him his life stories. Mm-hmm. And those have been all of his books. And then his last book, the book he was going to write, is going to be the greatest sci-fi novel mm-hmm. ever. In the Mouth of Madness. Which was about an alien telling a sci-fi author what to write. <laughs> and then at the end, the alien was going to kill him. Mm-hmm. And so he's just like, well, that's a problem, because this is all based on reality. So I think Pretzel is trying to kill me. And Austin's like, this is stupid, and I'm leaving. Until he comes into the house, and it's full of a floating lightning ball Uh, that is flying around shooting lightning everywhere while the author argues with it. mm. That's a good setup. Yep. That's a great setup for a story.
1: Now, it turns out the ball of lightning is ball lightning. Uh (laughs)
0: Really something Austin should have considered a little sooner. Yeah. Um, but uh, ball lightning is a, is a very strange atmosphere phenomenon. It's it's an
1: unexplained, it's like pseudo real. Like there's something, I I, I think the actual scientific veracity of ball lightning is, is at least questioned, but it turns into this weird,
0: is alien life real? And Austin actually starts to question it. He actually believes that aliens could be real. He just doesn't believe that they would come to earth, be named pretzel Uh and use whatever know-how they've got to help a sci-fi author write books, Mm. which yeah, But Mickey says, listen, what if he's right? We have to at least look into it. And so they do. Um, And this is one of the ones where it kind of turns into almost like an Agatha Christie story with, like, the mysterious maid Uh and, like, the the too young wife who's probably trying to kill him. Uh Uh, And indeed, the author gets killed. Uh Oh. And... uh, but only later do they prove that it's actually ball lightning, but they're like, okay, this is great. Turns out the alien isn't really an alien. He was actually a really good author who had mental health issues and just saw his creativity as an external voice. And wait a minute. Mm. That means someone murdered him. Oh, crap. We still have, <laughs> we still have a third of an episode to go, <laughs> which is actually kind of fun. And I like that. Yeah. And it turns out the wife did it because it's her, the maid, she, and the
1: maid has no motive. Well, she was the one feeding him his stories the whole time. And- Mm. The maid was beating the stories all the time? No, the wife. Oh. Oh no, the story's about the alien though. Bar- oh. But no, 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 because the wife wasn't doing that. She that, that was the big reveal at the end. It was the wife was the one who was feeding him the stories. No, she was just going along with it. He he she, he, she was like his fifth
0: wife. She wasn't there the whole time. He met her on a book tour. He'd already been writing the books and he said he'd never wrote a word by himself.
1: So she couldn't I, I, have. Oh, I was on because because Austin confronted her and says that that was your motive. You wanted credit for the books that you no, were no, no. writing. No, 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 no. He doesn't. She doesn't
0: want credit for the books. Mm. She wanted the financial rights to the books. Oh, okay. So if he dies, she gets the financial rights to the books, and she was going to wait mm-hmm. uh, uh, until he had finished his last book. Uh huh. But now that it seems like he's never going to, then she's like, fuck it, I might as well kill him, Mm -hmm. and I'll get a ghostwriter to finish the last chapter, and it'll still be the book he was writing when he died, and it'll still be a hugely blockbuster successful book. Okay. So that was the idea. It was the rights to the books, not that she was actually writing it. Oh,
1: okay. I, I... Misunderstood the it's ending. It's fine. Then. It's fine. Sometimes I really watch. I watch all of these probe episodes at like one a.m. So. Well, this is
0: here's the one that I was actually a little hazy on. Mm. Uh, it's called "Quit It." The, it's the last episode of the series, mm-hmm. um, and a young woman wakes up in her suburban household and finds out she's living in the idyllic family home. She's been stepforded. She's been step. Her, her whole family.
1: The city has been stepforded and she's okay. Yeah.
0: The whole. So her family's been stepforded. Her dad yeah. was a chain smoker who's seems totally fine and not nervous at all, and mm. mom is up dressed and well first thing in the morning and so she freaks out and she mm. runs away and she happens to run into mickey's car total coincidence mickey takes him her to austin and she says um something's happened to my parents and of course she sounds mad yeah. her parents show up and they sound very reasonable and then when austin says listen uh she's very scared right now why don't i take her home later this afternoon and we can deal with this and the parents say fine that's when austin says Clearly the young woman is the one who's sane, because those people smell like they've been chain-smoking for the last 20 years, and I can also tell they haven't smoked in a month, and they're not even going through any withdrawals. Something weird is going on. Uh Uh-huh. And it turns out, yeah, the entire town is being ma- stepfrited,
1: ma- mass hip- hypnotized, actually.
0: And they spend the uh, yeah they spend the whole episode trying to figure out is it is it these anti smoking pills they're taking? What is it? And it turns out, explain this to me because honestly, I was a little hazy. Um,
1: yeah. I, I, so I, I do with magic kids. Well, the, uh, there was something about how like whoever handled the pill, like who, whoever handled the pills or whoever handled the the hypnosis device was. Influencing it Like psychically Like it was taking on Their desires Okay I, I don't really quite Understand how I it was got Supposed to work
0: I got the impression That a bunch of kids Decided to help out The community yeah. And didn't realize The extent of their power Over them Because maybe yeah, yeah. They, were, they were Handling
1: the hypnosis device They, they, they were like, they were handling The hypnosis device But they were doing it Kind of unwittingly mm-hmm. And like really haphazardly. It was like really easy For them So it's like Well I wish everything Were great It's like You know that Twilight Zone episode Where the kid just Gets what he wants Right it's like, I'm just going to wish you out to the cornfield. But they don't even it was,
0: realize it. They just think, yeah. well, surely they want to be happy. And so they just yeah, give so them whatever I, their I, idea of happiness is. I
1: wish they were not smokers. And I wish they dressed better. OK, and now they're dressing better. I wish everybody were nice. And... Uh, this is the episode where Austin begins to fall in love with uh, with uh, uh, Ashley, and we turn. It turns out it's and because the kids
0: think that they should well, be together because not, they don't understand platonic relationships. Yeah, not not
1: just the like the youngest kid, like the girl who's like seven. It's like, oh, I saw a man and a woman. I thought they should be in love. Yeah, it's like I, I'm going to make him fall in love with her, and that's when he starts speaking, being really amorous. Mm-hmm. And it's I guess it's good that they tackled that in the last episode. It's like we're not going to do any romance. Yeah, this is like. Okay, you want some sexual tension? Fine. Here's an episode showing that we're not going to do that. <laughs> Basically, that we have some sexual tension, but he was under the influence of a hypnotist, and it was a little girl at that. That that's how the X Files did it for a while, you know? Yeah, like there they were, and I I don't even recall like the actual nuts and bolts of the hypnosis device.
0: No, it's that that's the thing I was but, really uh, hazy on. They did such a good job of obfuscating what was really. Going on, there were so many red herrings of what could possibly be what the problem was. They, they, even the people who were suffering from it thought it was, like, the anti-smoking pills. Mm. And they were forced them to eat them. Right. And it turns out it didn't work because that's not what it was. Um, but... Yeah, they did such a good job of obfuscating the real twist that I didn't pick up on the real twist. It was a little, I'm a little hazy on it. They did too good a job. <laughs> yeah. And ended up shooting no, just, themselves in the foot.
1: I, just, I knew that the, the the big twist was just that the kids had took control of uh, the hypnosis device. Right. And that's what was causing the, the whole city to be stepforded and the older sister was fine. And so they didn't need to change her. Yeah, yeah. basically. Mm-hmm.
0: So that is uh, that is probe. Um, it didn't get picked up for another season. It really never had terrible ratings. Yeah, like the ratings were okay. Mm. It probably just wasn't good enough. Mm. Um, I, I can't imagine Parker Stevenson's salary was that much. <laughs> um, maybe Isaac Asimov was getting a big chunk of the pie. I don't know. Mm. His name is never on a script. It's always like created by and like a producer yeah. thing. So I honestly don't know how involved he was. Clearly involved enough to get his
1: name on it. Well, I, he clearly created this character. I think he was this, clearly was involved with su- setting yeah. up the premise. Yeah. S- super scientist character was clearly you know in, in his, his interest. Have you read much Asimov? A little. I've read uh, less of his fiction and more of his literary criticism. Oh, okay. Uh, he, he wrote this really terrific, gigantic volume where he goes through uh, the complete works of Shakespeare. And tries to essentially annotate the circumstances of the writing of the play. There's not a lot in the way of literary analysis. Like he's not delving into the characters. He's just delving into sort of the context. Yeah. it's like what was Shakespeare thinking? Where would have this had come from? What was like in the public consciousness in Elizabethan England at the time? That's and cool. it's really fascinating. It's a really invaluable uh, setup. But yeah, he's a, a very uh, empiric, very practical guy. He's only interested in hard, interested in hard evidence because he's a scientist. So, right. it makes perfect sense that he would, if he were to make a show, and you know he's experienced with fiction, so he'd want to make sort of like a fun cop show. Uh, it would be this. Yeah. Uh, if Isaac Asimov were to make another show, it would be this again. It would just be, <laughs> Yeah, only, think, only this time this time it's a cop in New York, or this time it's a group of people and they're solving no, crimes, I, but it all be about nowadays, scientist characters. I think, I think
0: nowadays, though, considering right. what TV is capable of budget-wise, yeah. he'd probably want to do something more mm. ambitious and set in the future and tackle some real things, because this is what Asimov can do yeah. with a MacGyver budget. Right. <laughs> you know, this is the guy who wrote really hard sci-fi about really distant futures and things, and mm-hmm. yeah, it's stuff that really doesn't translate well to cheap TV. <laughs> so, yeah, I think he probably would do something different now, but this is... Is still,
1: we're still using this formula. We're still using it in well, we, shows, yeah, literally ta-
0: based on Sherlock. Oh,
1: we're talking about House and, and Monk and yeah. Yeah, all these shows. Every about...
0: every cop show is still mm. kind of like this. Castle was like this. They're mm. all basically this mismatched
1: cop even, even, thing.
0: Uh, even that that uh, comedy psych. Yeah, it's all, all the same thing. It's all yeah. the same thing. And you know why it works. Cause there's nothing wrong with it. You get two people with distinct personalities who play mm. off of each other well, create humor and or and or tension, uh-huh. um, and you shove them into different murder mysteries and just see what they do. It and works for Batman. It works for Sherlock Holmes. It works for I, Probe.
1: It works for everything. It works for Probe, and it works for Probe especially because I think they were really, even though they were a little uh, weird. I think they were really creative about the circumstances of circumstances of each murder. No one was ever just shot or if they were, it was an ape, you know, it was, yeah. it, you know, somebody drank tea that was like, had custom virus in it. Murder mysteries are interesting. If the murders are interesting, that's true. Um, I don't care if somebody gets run down by a car, or just sort of strangled by a jealous lover. So what? Always, I've seen gotta, that. There's always got to
0: be one unique observation to yeah. something, preferably something that only the protagonist mm. will notice, yeah, or understand the significance of. What's um, what's, what's your
1: favorite murder? Like that, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's a weird question. No, no, that's of, that's actually like a really good question. What's what's, a, what's your favorite murder that you've seen, like on, yeah, on TV or in a or in a movie? That's a
0: really yeah. excellent question, and I'm trying to think now oh. because. Like, oh, I've seen a lot of murders. Yeah. I've seen so many damn murders. Like so,
1: some of those Saw machines were pretty fun. Oh, some of those um, are glorious. <laughs> some of those are... I think my favorite one from the Saw ones
0: mm. is uh, the two guys in a room, and uh, there's a coffin in the room, and the guy's like, you're trying to get me in that coffin. I'm going to shove you in the coffin. Oh, and then was, Jigsaw's just like, this thing. is the only safe place in the room, yeah, and then was, the coffin a, re- retracts. It was, a, it
1: was a coffin
0: full of broken glass. Yeah. Yeah. But he doesn't mind the broken glass because the alternative uh, is being smashed to death in that room. And then the coffin retracts into the floor, and then the room crushes like a vice, and all of that guy's blood pours onto the window of the coffin. (laughs) It's so gross, but it's such an amazing bit. Like, it's super cool.
1: Um, That's a good one. That's Mm. a good one. I feel like uh, my favorite... hmm. A a TV show I'm trying to track down for canceled Too Soon is called Likely Suspects. I've talked about it a couple times before. And there was a great murder where... uh, a perfume, like honcha, like a perfume uh, a czar, was uh, like pay- playing tennis in uh, their fancy mansion. Somebody resented that this person was so rich, and uh, when they were attacked by dobermans, <laughs> and it turns out that the dobermans attacked them because. Their perfume that they were wearing was spiked with meat flavoring.
0: Oh, that's fun.
1: <laughs> There's an episode of CSI I really uh. liked. It actually
0: ended up not being a murder, but the solution was still cool. Uh. It looked like a murder because this guy was like a prolific gambler. Uh. And they assumed that someone tried to poison him because he had made a lot of enemies. And then it turns out that as a gambler, one of his sticks, you know, one of the things that he does, mm-hmm. he always eats, he always snacks on this one particular kind of chocolate. Now, there's nothing wrong with the chocolate, but if you, but he ate so much of it over such a long period of time that there was a very particular, like, mineral in the soil from the chocolate, and he created, like, this poisonous mineral deposit in his life from eating, like, 40 years' worth of chocolate. <laughs> so it there was, like, it was a literal death by chocolate. Oh, that's pretty funny. And that was kind of fun. Okay. I mean, it's, again, it, it, they don't need to put a warning label on it. Just, like, mm-hmm. maybe eat something else once in a while and you're fine. <laughs> So that was a fun one. But yeah, I don't know. That's a really... Actually, I would love it. I would love it if people would go to our Patreon page for this episode. Mm-hmm. If you're not uh, getting it through Patreon, it's patreon.com slash canceled too soon. Canceled with one L. And leave in the comments... I want to I attract people to, to that section because I want everyone to be able to see everyone's picks. Yeah. Uh, leave in the comments of this episode your favorite... It's got to be Fictional. Favorite fictional murder. Favorite fictional murder, movie, TV, book, sure. comic book, whatever, it has to be an actual murder, and it has to be clever. It has to be,
1: like, a really cool setup, or just something really neat about it. <laughs> so, Probe had a lot of clever murders, Yep, had clever characters, celebrated intelligence, was all about the, the glories of science, good characters, good character interaction... Yes, it was definitely canceled too it soon. It was definitely canceled too soon. But I think It's, it had it's a just few, a good show pretty through and through. Uh, yeah, I think maybe had, a few ni- missteps, but I, it's only the first eight episodes. I, yeah, I think there were like one or two episodes that were kind of
0: lame. I don't, I don't think the last one was ending on the best footing. And I mm. think um, um, the elevator episode sucks. Oh, mm. But the characters are so cute and likable. And I really do like them together. And I'm really bummed out that Ashley Crow didn't have a bigger career.
1: Yeah, she's well,
0: great in this. Like, she could have totally carried another
1: show. Mm. And I can see why people didn't like her, though. Why? Well, because uh, she, when compared to sort of how I- interesting Austin is, uh, she she might have seemed like sort of uh, weak in comparison. I don't think so. Oh, I think I, I think, think that's they a misunderstanding. Of, I think of they how played how off each other very well. But I don't uh, think
0: he works without her. Yeah. without her she's boring she and her particular she's got such a particular blend of humor in here Mm. that is based off of pure sincerity yes she's not super smart she's also never dumb no she's never dumb but because next to him she comes across as dumb she gets to do that kind of ditzy comedy gags but never come across as a ditz Mm. and that's something that's really tricky to do and I think she does it really remarkably. I love watching her react to things. Uh-huh. Like her reaction faces to the remarkable or even the mundane. She's giving you so much information about what is interesting, what is annoying, when she knows that Austin is screwing with her. And it's mm-hmm. like, it, it's a delightful performance. And I just I just really, I, I don't know if she's, I think she's still working. Mm-hmm. She's great. I just want to give her a big shout-out. If anyone knows her, give her a high-five. She's a badass. I just want to say it. Um, So that, that is this episode of Cancelled Too Soon. That was Probe. It certainly was. Next week, uh, we're doing a poll. That's right. Uh, We usually do a poll, like, the first week of of the month. We obviously fell behind on that. The poll will be up now, and it's going to be a quick one, because it's the show we're going to do next, so we don't know what it is yet. Uh, Your options are, Uh we have Kidnapped. Uh, which stars? Uh, oh, these these are all from contributions, by the way, that have been mailed into us. Yeah, Kidnapped, uh, which features Jeremy Sisto, Carmen Ajogo, Delroy Lindo, uh, got a really good cast, and it's about a kidnapping. <laughs> moving on, uh, no, not based on Robert Louis Stevenson, I'm guessing. Moving on, we've got Bionic Woman, the the reboot of Bionic Woman. That's right, uh, which features uh, Miguel Ferrer, who we see a lot on this show, uh, Katie Sackhoff and Michelle Ryan as the Bionic Woman. This one's about. A bionic woman. I see that box? I a bionic yeah. woman. Uh, but it's box. about a woman who becomes a cyborg and fights crime. Yeah. Um, based on a uh, the spin-off of The Six Million Dollar Man. And then finally, we've got The River, uh, produced by Orrin Paley, the dire- uh, director of the original Paranormal Activity. And it is about a uh, wildlife TV show
1: host, if memory serves. Yeah. yeah it's like a, st- a Steve... Steve Irwin time Yeah and
0: he goes Missing in the Amazon And people go after him And it turns out It's really scary (laughs) Um, I heard good
1: things About all of them Yeah uh, but we know very little when we get these it's like we've heard about them but we don't want to do too much research going in mm-hmm. so we can be a little bit uh, exploratory about yeah,
0: it sometimes we can't help it sometimes it's a show we happen to have seen or, or yeah, knew yeah. a little bit about I know a little bit about Bionic Woman I think I saw the pilot I know the original Bionic Woman yeah. but nothing about this show so those will be the three options if you go to patreon.com slash cancelled too soon cancel with one L that poll will be up as soon as this episode goes live um, and that poll is only available for our subscribers at the $5 and up to you yeah uh so head on over there if you can afford to subscribe we sure as hell appreciate it and if you can't we understand completely but by all means leave us a review wherever you find it tell your friends every little bit helps mm-hmm. uh, we really appreciate everybody listening uh we have coming up in a couple of weeks our next big awards episode where we're going to dish out uh our awards for all of the shows that we reviewed over the last year of the show Yeah, And there will also be an opportunity for everyone to win a prize. And that prize is you get to pick an episode of Cancel Too Soon. And for a runner-up, you get to pick an episode of our bonus show, the Cancel Too Soon monthly movie. So your task will be to pick out the show, the episode of our podcast. That is of Cancel Too Soon. That is your favorite podcast for this year and the not qualifying period is everything from cop rock to next week's show mm-hmm. everything between there is fair game for that so all you got to do is you got to email us cancel too soon at gmail.com and just let us know what your number one pick is we've had people do whole lists before this time we're gonna make it real simple mm. what's your favorite mm. episode of this show not your favorite series that we've covered favorite episode of this show Mm -hmm. we will announce the winner on the awards episode of Cancel too soon and we will also announce the winners whose names will all be put in the hat and we will just pluck them out Mm -hmm. and we will give everyone their prizes and that is coming up real real soon so start thinking about it now and if you want to start voting Mm -hmm. you can
1: but you might want to wait till next week because maybe next episode's great (laughs) hope it is you know what how could anything possibly beat Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kids? We suffered so exquisitely for that episode. That one hurt. Not to sway the vote. No. No, 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 <laughs> follow no, we no. Follow your own and heart. And we but...
0: do pay attention to the votes because they do help us decide what types of shows people are enjoying. Mm-hmm. So we know what to give you more of in the future. So the votes yes. actually matter and they do affect you even if you don't win. So thank you everybody for listening. We will be back later. You can follow us on Twitter at CancelCast. I'm at William Bibbiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. And that is a wrap. We'll see you next season.